Today's episode is brought to you by Slater's 5050 and Tua T Fitness. Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys. Shantz and Chu are washing their mouths out with soap because the How Dare You podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the How Dare You podcast. This is a How Dare You teachable moment. My name is Michael Shantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. With me is my partner in crime, the movie novice, Lady Chu. Hi, Chu. Hi, you guys. This How are fun. you? I'm good. I'm yeah? excited to talk about Jaws. Oh, fuck, shit, piss. I am so excited to talk about this movie with you. And you have no idea how I feel about it. Nope. Nope. They haven't told you. Oh, it's offensive you hadn't seen it. It is offensive. It was an automatic <laughs> grievance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's an automatic grievance. I want to say whatever podcast, I, I think it was Deep Blue Sea and whatever podcast, you know, whenever you mentioned, because we were talking about the license plate that he takes out of the shark's yeah. mouth and it's the same license plate. And you said you hadn't seen Jaws. And I think my reaction was, <gasps> Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I had no I it's really amazing that I had gotten through 30 plus years of life <laughs> not having seen Jaws when everyone else on the planet has seen it. Chew, this is my favorite movie of all time. Are you ready to to find out how what how I feel about it? I'm so nervous. Tell me. So I didn't have little uh, backstory. I didn't have time to watch it last night. So I get up this morning. I like to be fresh. So I don't like to watch it more than 24 hours in it like before. Uh Uh-huh. Get up this morning, turn it on. And I'm about 15 minutes in. And I'm thinking, fuck, I don't want this movie to end. (laughs) Fucking good. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I'm so relieved. It was very, very good. Way better than I thought it was going to be. Are, did they remaster it on the HBO Max? Because it looks well, good. I don't know if is they remastered it for HBO Max, but there is a note that I have here that says the film they decided to film it on was actually very cheap and sort of lost. It was decolored within 10 years when they finally put put it on television wow. and they had to recolorize it for their the television broadcast in 1985 because it had it was so shitty by then so they oh, had to I couldn't tell it looked good yeah chew i am <laughs> i got to tell you i'm so relieved because if you said that you thought this was a bad movie you were going to be a missing person no, our friendship would be oh. over. Oh, your husband would be like calling me. Have you seen my wife? Do you know where Michelle is? Didn't you guys meet about Jaws yesterday? Nope. Don't know. You're going to be buried in a hole in the desert if you said you didn't like this movie. I feel like you would have just fed me to the sharks. Really come full circle. You're the chum. You'd have yeah. been the fucking chum. Uh, 
Um, loved okay. it. Okay. I, I am I'm I'm so happy that you liked this movie. And I'm so happy that I could deliver to you something you hadn't seen. And not even that, like, what a great fucking movie. Like I the whole way through I'm like, how have I never fucking watched this before? Like, this is nuts. <laughs> this is nuts. There was no I didn't feel like there was any cheesy moments because sometimes even with those later movies and it's supposed to be a thriller slash horror movie, there's just like some stupid dialogue. I didn't feel that way. No, and that's the thing that I think is so magical about this movie is the thing that sets this movie apart for me is the focus on characters. Yeah. And that's why the movie works. I mean, the movie is essentially a two-act play. It's two completely separate movies when you take out, you know, so you have the first act is all about what's going on in Amity. And then the second act is these three guys out on the water battling this shark. I, uh. And it's pure magic, Chew. I mean, okay. So for starters, this movie, like this movie is my favorite movie. Part of, part of the reason movies, I think, uh, speak to us and why we might like or dislike any one movie is our experience in watching it for the first time, especially. And this movie came out in 1975. There's no way I could have seen it in the theater at that time because I was but just a wee lad. <laughs> yeah. And but I and I grew up playing sports. I grew up playing baseball and basketball and football. And I had what I remember was I had hurt. I had pulled my hamstring so I could barely kind of walk. Uh, It was a bad pulling of my hamstring and my older brother had a football game. I can't quite remember if it was when he was on the freshman team or if he was on the varsity team. So it was either a Thursday night or a Friday night, but either way, I had convinced my parents to just not let me go. Can I just stay home and be left to my own devices? And they said, don't fuck around. (laughs) I said, okay. And so what I did was I sat down and watched Jaws for the first time. And I mean, my mom had made these great, Mm -hmm. huge pillows and quilts, you know, for us that she gave to us for Christmas. And I mean, I put the big pillow down and I lied on my stomach just sort of, (laughs) you know, with the quilt over me. And I can, to this day, remember how enthralled. Plus, you know, I was a huge shark kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I went to the library in elementary school, I went to go get books. In fact, after the break, Chew, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, nobody listening is going to be able to to see this because it's a podcast, but I'm going to show you a book that I used to check out of the library and I'll show you a book report on sharks that I did myself in elementary school that I still have. Wow. But, but at any rate, I'm watching this movie by myself and like I said, completely enthralled. And when Roy Scheider says... Smile, you son of a... <laughs> yeah. And that shark explodes at the end of the night. I re-injured myself getting up off the floor to, to like, spontaneously cheer yeah. that it had happened. That's how, you know, so that was my experience of the movie. Yeah. 
that's a good story. That's like, that's like a life-changing moment. Not a life-changing, yeah. you know, like, that's really cool. It really was. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, maybe saying life-changing is going a bit yeah. too far. But, but it was a monumental it, moment for you but, as a kid. Right. It, it, yeah, it shaped me. And shaped my love of movies, shaped how I saw characters. It, you know, it shaped yeah. a lot of things for me in my life. And then on top of that, just maybe five years ago, you know that I take kids backpacking in the summer. Yeah. And we take them through the Sierras, like from Mammoth to Yosemite. And we watch movies on the charter bus. Well, <laughs> when we used to be able to take a charter bus, yeah. hopefully that time will come back again. But... We watched Jaws. The, the The one rule is no rated R movies. Mm -hmm. And so I had told my friend, I said, "I'm those kids are going to watch Jaws this year. He goes, Jaws? Is that PG or PG-13? I'm like, there's no PG-13. It's 1975. Fucking PG, baby. <laughs> so that's our only rule. We can watch Jaws. And I got to tell you, I mean, usually when you watch movies on the bus, maybe half the kids are watching it and the other half are just chatting away or playing video games or reading or whatever you know they're just fucking around yeah but those kids were watching that movie and when same moment smile you son of a yeah you know kills the shark a spontaneous round of applause from oh that's cool te from teenagers you know i mean they you know they 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 like that movie sucked them in yeah. and i just so loved that that they experienced the moment that I experienced that I assume you experienced, yeah. right? It really was magical because it, it like, I'm sucked in almost immediately. Like, I, I'm just, it was great. I loved every minute of it. Right, and that's the thing, right? So, the thing that's, great about this movie is it it literally grabs you in the first moment because you're underwater and you have the great score of John Williams. Yeah. Want to hear something funny about the musical score for this movie? Educate me. The first time that John Williams played the score for Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg said, that's funny. Now what's the real music? Wow. <laughs> didn't like it yeah he didn't believe him it wasn't that he didn't like it it was that it was i think it was that it was so simple he didn't yeah. believe he thought he was just putting him on but the funny thing is is think about we all know the you know the, just the dun dun yeah. dun 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 bum 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 so we know that part of the score but think of the rest of the music in that film. There's stuff that's sort of filled with whimsy when they're chasing yeah. the shark. There's or or kind of like um, it harkens back to Errol Flynn kind of yeah. adventure. It was almost really subtle sometimes, too. Like I didn't need a lot of times, you know, you depend on the score to like help, you know, move the story along or, or like put you in that moment. But what was going on was really fucking intense. And the acting mm -hmm. was really great. Everything everything else was wonderful. So I almost didn't need the score, that sound effect, at all. I needed it. 
but it, yeah. I would, I well, but I, I would push back against, yeah, because the thing was, so how much do you even know about the making of this movie? Do you know what a shit show it was? I think I knew that. I know little things, um, but I mean, you know, I don't do, I just go into a movie blind when we do these things. Like I, right. I don't want any, any bias at all. Try not to. Well, so just just as a piece of background, I mean, and the thing to that marvels me is remember this movie was made in 1975, or well, came out in 75. Yeah. It only had a budget of seven million dollars. It made in the USA 260.7 million dollars worldwide. It's made 471.9 million dollars. That's quite an, a return on your investment. Yeah. I think. I think, uh, based on inflation, this is still the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. Wow. This is the first movie to make over $100 million. That's Ever. insane. I believe before it. This movie, before this movie, summer blockbusters were not a thing. Releasing movies in the summer was not a thing. Nobody went to the movies in the summer. We all just went to beaches. And, of course, this movie single-handedly yeah. stopped people from going into the ocean. My mother wouldn't go into the ocean just because of this movie. But, you know, it was scheduled to film for 55 days. It filmed for uh, 155 days. <laughs> Yikes. They uh, changed... built three... Sh- yeah. Go ahead. No, I was thinking I knew that they used multiple sharks. Yeah, so they built three sharks, essentially one whole shark, and then one where the mechanics on the left could be seen and one with the mechanics on the right could be seen. So you just kind of have profile mm-hmm. of left and right. The first time they took the shark and dropped it in the ocean, it sank to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> just just immediately. And they were like, oh, fuck. And so the score actually helps with the score really is instrumental <laughs> pun <laughs> that's a good one the, the score really is instrumental in making you understand danger and where the shark is yeah. and and you know all of that that and the barrels really did so much yeah. for this movie and made it more hitchcockian you know Spielberg's plan was to have this shark be seen all the fucking time. I'm glad they they didn't do it that way. Yeah, less is more. Yeah, so I don't know. I've 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 been involved in creative endeavors myself where everything was a shit show and if it hadn't been a shit show, maybe it hadn't wouldn't have turned out the way it had, you know? Yeah. Or even, you know, I, I this is neither here nor there, but, uh, you know, even on a backpacking trip, I spent the better part of 10 days hiking towards Mount Whitney just to get to Guitar Lake, which is below Mount Whitney, and have a huge rainstorm come. And if you ever hiked Mount Whitney, you know that once you get to sort of the, the trailhead, not the trailhead, but the the trail junction that leads to the last final up 
there's a sign there that lists all the reasons you should not go to the top of Mount Whitney. And it's if it's raining, if there are dark clouds, if there's hail, if you see lightning. All of those things were present when we got to that trail junction. Yeah. We're like, we've been hiking for 10 days. What the fuck are we supposed to do? And we were just we just said, let's bomb it. <laughs> we started walking up to the top. And the whole time I'm scared shitless because I think we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And when we get to the top, we're in the middle of a cloud and out of nowhere, all clouds part. And there's a ring of clouds just around the top of Mount Whitney and the sun is setting red and orange and the sky's on fire behind the clouds. And it looked we all started crying. It was so amazing. Like if we had done it any other way, it might not have been as affecting. Yeah. And I, you know, I equate that to this movie. If the movie wasn't such a fucking shit show. (laughs) For for everyone involved and how this movie got made. It's a miracle this movie is as good as it is. It's a miracle. I I I totally agree. Like it yeah, it probably wouldn't have been the same if everything hadn't just been a fucking mess. God damn it, this movie was good. Oh <laughs> so you know Like I might watch it again today. Yeah. Fuck good. Yeah. I only had one note. One single note. Uh-huh. And it was a grievance. Like I only had one it as was a, a grievance. It was, and that's probably not even okay. what you think. You're not. Even, you're never even gonna guess. So, towards the end, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus is getting into the shark cage, the anti-shark cage. Obviously, nobody wants the fucking. You don't need to say that. I know it's an anti-shark cage. Okay, shark's not supposed to be in there. Anyway, I digress. Um, this is a shark cage. What you do is you get in it, and then you try to get the shark in there with you. So you can get really close up information. <laughs> Richard Dreyfus is getting in and he takes his glasses off and hands them to Roy and Roy puts them in his mouth. If you wear glasses, which chance I know you do, you know that behind your ears, they collect sweat, oil from your hair, like natural, like natural stuff. But you don't want to take somebody else's glasses and put that back earpiece in your fucking mouth. I. It's my one grievance. This is your grievance? He did that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Are you. Excuse you. Stop. They should. I don't know why Steven Spielberg uh, didn't be like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> who, did, who told you to do that? No. Hated it. Other than that, movie was amazing. I think you're. I think you might be overreacting during the times uh, of Corona. No, that is a hard no. I don't even put my own sunglasses that piece in my mouth no way oh see i think i've been putting my glasses in my mouth just like that just because of the movie for for, from the moment i started wearing glasses i'm the total opposite i'll fucking do that all day long why because chief fucking brody does also this movie reminded me like damn he's handsome right he's a handsome guy yeah Oh yeah. Well, there's a lot to say about Roy Scheider. Let's we're gonna take a break and then we'll talk about the casting, the you know, across the board, especially the three men, and we'll get into uh, what works. As far as we were talking earlier about uh, what drives this movie for me is the characters, and so when we come back, Chew, we'll talk about just that. How about that? 
All right. We'll be back, everybody. Look, people, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir crazy. Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 5050 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. Their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 5050 has their full menu, including their signature 5050 patty. It's half ground beef. It's half ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more could you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's 5050. Indoor dining available. Outdoor dining available. Bring the family. Bring your dog. Come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we are back. We are here with a how dare you teachable moment teaching Lady Chu about some good fucking movies, 1975's Jaws. Woohoo! Woo! Loved it. You loved it. I did. That's fantastic. I just love that you loved this movie. I'm so happy right now. I loved it so much that I can't imagine somebody not liking this movie. Yeah, that would piss me off. Yeah. There's nothing bad about it. Except for the glasses thing. That's it. (laughs) I love that your only grievance is the glasses. (laughs) It's just irresponsible and gross. <laughs> well, and so you know, some people do have a grievance with this movie. It wasn't it wasn't universally loved by critics when it first came out. It certainly was loved by audiences. Literally 67 million people saw this movie in 1975. Whoa. And it was only released on What's where's my note? I think it was released on something like 495 screens to start with or something like that. And that's it. 490 screens to start and just sort of built in I mean, you know, people were seeing this movie for well over a year, I think. Yeah. And I mean, this movie for for starters, this movie was supposed to be released in December of 1974. And, of course, because the shooting was a shit show, there's no way they were going to be done in time. And so that's why they they were just sort of launching this movie in summer, like, get it out of our fucking hair, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was just a sensation in a, in a way that is kind of hard for, I think, movie-going audiences today to understand and it's not just with Jaws, of course. I mean, as a kid, I can remember, you know, ha- like lining up for Star Wars movies, you know, 
hours and hours and hours in advance. You couldn't buy tickets online yeah. beforehand and have your seats reserved. You know what I mean? Right. And so that was part of the experience was how long you'd have to wait in line just to buy a ticket and then do it again because you wanted to see the movie again. Yeah. Well, so and before the the break, we were talking about. You you had mentioned how handsome Roy Scheider was. Yeah. And. I mean, he's, you know, the funny part to me, too, is he was not sort of universally accepted as the guy who should be Chief Brody. Because, uh oh, possible grievance. Oh, I disagree with with that entirely. No, no, he's no, no. Perfect. Oh, yeah. I, he's perfect for the role. My grief, my, the possible grievance is: Have you seen the French Connection? Okay. Why do Why do you ask questions you don't know the answers to? <laughs> We've gone over this. <laughs> All right. So the French Connection. God damn it, you. The French Connection is a real like. You know, he he and Gene Hackman play cops. And we're talking like hard-boiled detectives, tough guys. Gene Hackman's character, Popeye Doyle, is one of the most famous sort of tough guys, fuck some people up kind of characters yeah. uh, that everybody knows of. So, so there was this thought that Roy Scheider was too much of that to be Chief Brody. And for me, this is where this movie really takes off, you know, on the other podcast, on the Everything Sequel podcast, because we were talking about the Jaws sequels, Tom had mentioned, he, he said, so does, does, does this movie kind of boil down to three different generations? And I think that you could, you could argue that, although in reality, Scheider and Robert Shaw are actually very close in age, but you really get a sense of, three different classes, don't yeah. you? You get, a, you know, a real working man's working man, a sort of middle class family man, and then an upper oh, totally. class yeah. young know-it-all nerd, essentially, right? Yeah. And that's what this movie is playing on. And so it's who do you identify with? Who who did you identify with most, mostly? Definitely uh, Brody, for sure. Mm -hmm. He was this, you know, he doesn't have a lot of money. He is working class. He has a family. He really strives to do the right thing. But he's being pushed, you know, for financial reasons from the mayor. And, you know, they want to stay open for the weekend. So he's really, uh, he's being forced to to look the other way with that first attack. And he all he wants to do is do the right thing. And right. it was... Obviously, you can see that it was more eye-opening for him once his kid was almost attacked. Um, and then from there, he's like, nope, fuck it. We're not, I'm not messing around anymore. We're like, we're going to kill the shark. So I definitely, I I related more to him than anything else. As did I. And even upon my first viewing, you know, growing up, like I said before, I grew up playing sports, but I, I never felt as good an athlete as my two brothers Actually, I had a funny moment with my younger brother not too long ago. I, I had mentioned that I felt like as a kid, I was the worst athlete in the house and was made to feel like the worst athlete in the house. Oh. 
Wow. It's essentially what I had based my whole life on was the, was that viewpoint. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I was different than them. And my younger brother said, oh, no, I never felt like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, my, what? <laughs> Just blew my mind. No, you thought I was a piece of shit when I was a kid. Don't you remember that? You used to make fun of me. No, no, that's not how I thought about it. I'm like, oh, my God, my world's crumbling before me. But but that's why I that's why I identified so much with Chief Brody and that character because he is ostensibly every bit, you know, he's a New York cop, right? Yeah. He's a New York cop with his in his first summer at Amity. And presumably it's, this is a much lower key lifestyle. I can raise my family. I can, you know, I can be the good person I want to be without compromising myself in any way, shape or form that might happen in New York, right? Yeah. And what I love about his character is that he really is somewhere in between the other two men. He, 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 you know, looking from the outside in, you would see him as maybe a tough guy because he's a cop. Yeah. And he's not stupid. He's a smart man. He, you know, he can see things other people don't. But at the same time, he's so vulnerable. You know, he yeah. he doesn't he doesn't like to swim. I love the scene where he, when he's talking with his wife and, and his wife, you know, is saying. He, you know, Martin, Martin doesn't like the water. Martin, Martin doesn't even go swimming. Mar Martin stays in the car yeah. when we're on the ferry. And there's a technical word for it, isn't there? Drowning. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and when he has to get on the boat with Hooper and he's totally drunk, but he's got his his life preserver on, you know. And so these are these are these moments of him where he's so humanized because we can identify with his weaknesses or maybe what could be perceived as weaknesses as not being yeah. a man's man. And I, that's what I find so charming about that character and so wonderful. Yeah, he was really, um, you couldn't help but just fall in love with him because he was out of his element. I mean, even when he gets on the boat, when they're going to go, you know, try and get the shark, he's like, completely dressed up head to toe in his, this get up. Right, right. And he gets teased for it. And I'm like, yeah. well, he doesn't, you know. I see you got your rubbers on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the thing with Quint. Robert Shaw is so fucking good in this movie. I mean, he's yeah. he's sort of the man's man, but but to an extent of toxic masculinity. Absolutely. You know, but he's charming so you're pulled into him uh you might not know this the character of quint that robert shaw created was very much based on two guys who actually lived in martha's vineyard and who were like old salts actual fishermen that's cool yeah so one was lynn murphy who i think owned I don't know if it was his house or his business, but I think he he owned a business near something that they were building. Maybe it was Shaw's shack. I don't remember. But they were building something for the movie and they're spray painting stuff. And the spray paint, of course, the you know, it's sort of wafting in the wind and there's paint 
scatter getting on his building and he's giving them shit. And you guys don't know anything about anything. You don't know anything about boating. You don't know anything about fishing. You're all stupid. And eventually kind of became sort of a, a technical consultant for them, trying to help them understand that life a little bit better. And a lot of his verbiage came into play, especially in the last half where they're on the boat together. And then the other guy is actually in the movie. His name is Craig Kinsbury, and he plays Ben Gardner. Do you oh, remember? Yeah, he's the dead guy that uh, right. Travis found in the boat. Yeah, In the boat. So he's in the hull of the boat. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but he's also the guy who helps Richard Dreyfus get off his boat the first time you see Dreyfus when he says, oh, cool. hello there, mm-hmm. young feller. That's him. And he was this old salt who is actually, apparently has a really fascinating, interesting life. Like he didn't grow up poor. I think he grew up rich and grew up in New York. And there was, I remember reading some story about, um, he won a bunch of money on a game of dice, but he had used like loaded or faked dice to win all this money. And after he won that money, that's when he moved to Martha's Vineyard and just became a fisherman who walked all over town, never wearing shoes, always barefoot, and wow, is almost as ridiculous as in in all the best ways as Quint is in yeah. the movie, you know? And so that character is based on those two guys, which I just find delightful. That's really awesome. At first when um <clears throat> when we see Quint, like he's loading up the boat and he's singing and he's being kind of a jerk. And I'm like, mm-hmm. God, this guy, I don't know if I can take a, much more of this guy. But then, you know, he you start to see like a more humanized version of him and some vulnerability. And then he talks about his war story. And I was like, okay. Well, and you get why, right? You understand <laughs> yeah. why. He is the way he is. Yeah, you get why there are 50 jaws in his in his shack. Yeah. You understand why he's catching sharks. You understand, you know, you get why he is who he is. Did you know? So here's a little interesting fact, because you remember the introduction to Quint, right? Yeah, the chalkboard and the, yeah. Yeah. So we got the nails on the chalkboard and this fabulous, amazing speech that he gives to the townspeople or the higher ups in the townspeople about, you know, I'll catch this bird for you. Ain't going to be easy. Reckon my life worth more than three thousand bucks, Chief. That whole thing is just <laughs> yeah. fucking amazing, and I, I I love the way he leaves when he stands up. He goes, you know, Chief, Mister Mayor, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> yeah, right. walks out. And there's that guy that's always behind him, says nothing ever, and he's got the just walking a dog. It's fucking amazing, but. <laughs> But Spielberg originally wanted him uh, in a movie theater. He he wanted us to be introduced to Quint having watching us watch Quint watch <laughs> Moby Dick <laughs> and laughing maniacally in the back of the theater. Kind of. Uh, have you seen Cape Fear? God damn it. Grievance. Is that with uh, Robert De Niro? Yeah, kind of Robert De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. He's a psycho. Things. I know a little bit about some things. But you just haven't seen it. Exactly. Grievance. Yeah. (laughs) The grievance stands. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so, but there's a scene in that movie where he's watching a movie and, you know, the family that he's terrorizing is there, Nick Nolte and Jessica Lange. And, mm-hmm. and he's laughing maniacally. So I equate it to that. And the only reason this never happened was because Gregory Peck was in Moby Dick and he hated his acting in it and didn't want it to be seen again. So, again, you have this idea of a happy accident because what they got, I think, is perfect and works so much better than than the idea that they had come up with. Yeah, that was good. That was a good intro. Oh, that character is fucking magic. And... You know, it's important to say, too, Chu, that I don't know if you know this, but, of course, the novel was written by Peter Benchley, and the movie is vastly different. They created something like 27 new scenes, and all kinds of subplots are lost or changed or, you know, neglected. Uh, In the book, Hooper is having an affair with Chief Brody's wife. Oh, in the book, yeah, in the so, and that was the thing was that Steven Spielberg had kind of famously said, "I was never rooting for anybody in the book because I hated them all. I hated all these people so much, you know." Yeah, as they soon were as so you compromised. That, yeah, because if if Hooper, if they had done that in the movie, if Hooper was having an affair with Brody's wife, well, now I can't like either one of you because Brody's now a chump, and Hooper's an ass. So right. <clears throat> oh, and God, I, I mean, terrible. It, it, it's amazing, right? So, so they made great choices all along the way to ignore that. The, the, you know, the whole idea of the mayor who doesn't want to reopen or uh, wants to reopen the yeah. beaches was because there was a subplot about the mafia owning land and wanted to make sure that they were making money over the summer or something like that. Oh, that's and so that's much. that's why. He wants to keep opening up the beaches and again, happy accident, right? Yeah. They got the point across fine that they needed to make money. Like you don't need to throw in the mafia. That's, that's too much. No. And it really, you know, because obviously we've seen all kinds of memes lately, you know, revolving around COVID and this movie, you know, one of them says a, you know, a picture of the shark and it's COVID-19. One shows a picture of the mayor and it says Trump. <laughs> so <laughs> there are all kind of correlations between what we're going through now and this movie. And yeah. famously, I don't remember who it was, but famously somebody had created a meme or, or you know, a tweet or something that said, don't forget that. The mayor in Jaws is still the mayor in Jaws 2. Elections fucking matter. (laughs) That's good. And Tom and I talk about it on the Everything Sequel podcast because, you know, in the second movie, these kids, it's at least five to seven years later. They've elected this guy once or twice at least. Yeah. Stupid. Fucking great. uh, Separately, have you ever been to Martha's Vineyard? I have not. It's really amazing. And Damn it. I think you've been, I've been and everyone was like, Oh, this is where Jaws was filmed. And I, that was news to me. One, why would I know that? Cause I hadn't even watched Jaws at that point. <laughs> and 
I you didn't looking. have me. You didn't have me in your life to set you straight yet, Chew. Uh, no, we. You were in my life. It was when I worked at Slater's. <laughs> <laughs> this was recent. God damn it! This was in the last five years. Yeah. Yep. I was like, you wow, went there. Vineyard? I didn't even know what Martha's Vineyard was until we showed up. Like I'd heard of it, but I didn't understand that it was an <laughs> island. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, so we've talked about Brody and we've talked about Quint some. What do you think about Hooper? Um, I fucking love that character so yeah. much. Didn't yeah, there was nothing I didn't I didn't like about him. I I loved that he he was educated. He had this sense of urgency and like how like intense the situation was. Um I don't, I don't know what it was about this moment when uh, Brody and Hooper are on the boat together at night and they're looking, they, before they come upon uh, the boat, uh, what was it, Ben uh-huh. Gardner? Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, did you pay for, who pays for all this stuff? The government, the institute? He's like, no, I, I, I paid for it. What are you, Richard? Mostly myself. Yeah. And he asked, he's like, you know, like, how rich are you? He's like, me or my family? <laughs> And I just, I just love that moment. They were coming, they came from two completely different worlds and it was just a hump, but they're together and it was a humbling moment. But they're together, right? I mean, they're on the same page. Yeah. I just love, I love that. Well, here's an interesting fact about that scene. They reshot it. Not the stuff on top, but the underwater scene. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I like that scene. I was real nervous that Hooper was going to get, that that shark was going to be there. Was that the biggest scare for you, Ben Gardner's head coming out of that hull? Yeah, actually, because I didn't, I just assumed, you know, Ben's gone. Okay, that shark ate every last bit of his dinner. <laughs> Ben's not in there. But, but Ben came out of the hole, so I, that was, yeah, that got me a little bit. That scene good. manages to make me jump still to this day. It's good. But here's the interesting part about it, Chew. Steven Spielberg was unsatisfied with how big a scare he thought he could get. The studio would not give him any more money. So he went to, I think, the editor's swimming pool in their in her backyard. This, you, you, would, you would not know this, but famously, the editor of this movie was Verna Fields. And she did an awful lot to make this movie work. But there was, you know... There, there's a lot of maybe not so good shit between her and Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg wanted more credit for what he had done. She had rightly been, you know, being given credit. But at any rate, he was unsatisfied and they filmed that scene in the back of her pool and put milk in the pool to give the murkiness of the water. So that is shot in a fucking swimming pool and is one of the two biggest scares in the entire movie. That's good. Credit where credit is fucking due. Yeah. All right. I'm Chew. We got to take another break. <laughs> <I know. laughs> All right. We'll take another break. And when we come back, we're going to continue cha- talking about my favorite movie of all time <laughs> that I thrust upon Chew. The 1975 film Jaws. We'll be right back after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? 
Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2AT Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2AT Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we are back. Lady Chu and I are here discussing the 1975 film Jaws. It's a teachable moment, Chu. This is the one of the best teachable moments I've ever received from you. You were just telling me that it might be automatically in your top 10? Yeah. Fuck Maybe yeah. Maybe top seven. Oh. Yeah. What's up there? I like Not that specifically you said... ranked. It's just in the pool. I like that you said baby top seven. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, like top five, I don't know, nothing against Jaws, but there's just so many other movies that I love that would definitely qualify for top five. So uh, top seven. I'll take in it. No, I'll take in it. No specific order. Yeah. Fucking A. Well, I mean, so let's talk a little bit about. It's hard. I mean, throngs of people don't go into the ocean because of this movie. I have a note here that says a bunch of Floridians, of course, uh, <laughs> around the. <laughs> <laughs> this speaks to how much the U.S. of A. panicked after seeing this movie. A bunch of Floridians apparently clubbed to death a pygmy sperm whale that had uh, beached itself. There is an Egyptian resort that apparently had exactly what happened in the movie happen to them in real life. They had a shark attack and then the government responded basically in exactly the same way. They denied it at first, kept the beaches open, more people died, then closed the beaches only for a short time to reopen them, more people died, then went and tried to catch the shark, but I believe the shark just went away. Wow. Right? Whoa. How about Okay, look, we haven't talked, we've, you know, we've just kind of been talking about this movie. But Let's talk about what actually happens in the movie. How did you feel about how this movie starts? That first scene, that iconic first scene. Um, I loved it. Now, usually when we... First, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. Usually when we watch these movies, there's at least... I know a tiny bit about the movie, or I've seen it in passing, or I've seen little bits and pieces here. I've never seen that opening scene ever. Oh, wow. So that was totally new to me. Cracked up that he was, the kid was as drunk as he was, and he's trying to chase after this girl, and he's stumbling all over the place. I'm like, this is accurate. We've all been there. <laughs> and then, you know, she just, like, disrobes, titties flying everywhere, and 
she's having this graceful swim. In, I know, in, right? In the bay, and it's beautiful. I'm like, oh, wow, like, man, this this kid's going to get it. He's going to get some. <laughs> all he has to do is, on the beach. yeah, all he's got to do is get up off the sand. <laughs> he's too wasted. <laughs> and so wasted to the point where he can't even hear her or acknowledge the fact that she's screaming for help. Great scene. How fucking great is yeah her work in that scene and everything about it is shot in just the most perfect way because she's getting it you get the pull under you get the breath, breath you know you get yeah. the breath it goes under again the screaming is just it chills you to the bone yeah and it then, was good it wasn't like uh, classic horror like oh god you're the worst do you consider it, this a horror film by the way no, but I... Me either. Most people consider, consider it a horror film, and I just... I I don't... I You know, to me, it's... I think it's okay that people... Some people consider it a horror film because it genuinely has scared a lot of Right. People. I can't say that they're wrong and they should go fuck themselves, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you're wrong and you should go fuck yourself. Yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> but... I know. I I wouldn't consider it a horror film for myself. I wasn't afraid. I let that that stuff doesn't scare me. Um, so what was your feeling? Say in that first scene, because that first scene is, you know, you have this one moment where she, she what 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 was your thought process when she goes up against the 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 buoy? I was thinking, I'm like, okay, maybe she can kick a leg out. Right. Like, I'm thinking of all the things that maybe I would have done. Kick a leg out, start climbing up on the buoy. But the buoy's, that's not going to stay still for you. Have you ever climbed on a buoy? It ain't easy. Right. Okay, it just, if you pull on it, it's going with you. So you, she had no fucking chance. So you know that going in, you're like, this girl's going to die. Just well, not just it. that, but I think in the book, there's a passage where she realizes the extent to which she's in trouble because she reaches down and, and feels that she does has no legs. <laughs> Ooh. But in the movie, she's up against it. And so you have this moment of, oh, my gosh, like, could she live? Yeah. But then she's pulled away from it. And then you have that unbelievable moment where she's screaming and screaming and screaming and then just. And then silence. Perfect. Unceremoniously pulled down. And it's just. Yeah. That was great. Literally deathly silence. And it. Oh, it's so fucking good. It still would have been a good moment if they could have done it to, to for her to actually feel down, realize she has no legs, and just see that on her face, like, of just complete panic, devastation, like, this is the end. I don't know how you do that well, though. Yeah, but I also, you know, I kind of, I yeah, I take the exorcist route, too, of maybe the scariest thing you can ever see is a, a closed door. Yeah. And so the idea of not knowing what's happening below exactly because you're using, you know, you're using your mind at that point is yeah. truly frightening. Right. So I think that's why it, why it works. Here's a happy, fun uh, fact for you. Probably another grievance against you because you probably haven't seen the movie Stakeout. No. No. It's a Richard Dreyfus movie. He plays a cop in Seattle. He's with Emilio Estevez, their partners. So in between shooting scenes, they were playing an actual game where one would say a line from a movie and the other would have to guess what movie it was. And Emilio Estevez 
kind of slyly said, well, this is not a boating accident. And Richard Dreyfus actually said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody started laughing so hard that they put that in the movie. <laughs> That's so good. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, just generally, I don't, I don't know. Well, Richard Dreyfus was at the beginning of his career, and I got, you know, look, it's kind of like going to war, I think, for for all the people that were on this film. The amount of, because, you know, you couldn't go anywhere. They were all just at Martha's Vineyard, yeah. and so they were just all at hotels all night, and they were all staying together. He had... I think Richard Dreyfus had declined the role at one point and then said, no, 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 like, okay, like, give it back to me. Give it back to me. I want to do it. But he's famously, he's famously known as, as saying, you know, but he, he'd be saying like, what the hell am I doing here? I should be walking into Sardis to applause and acclaim. (laughs) (laughs) And he just thought this movie was going to be the biggest piece of shit he didn't believe in it. He thought it was going to be a disaster. And when he saw it for the first time, like at the premiere, I think, he was the one guy just saying, he did it. He did it. He did it. Like, I can't believe Spielberg did it. He did it. Yeah. And Spielberg was getting a lot of shit from a lot of people during the filming of this movie. He was because he was a kid. He was really young. Crew members were all giving him shit. They like made fun of some of the clothes he wore or something like that. Wow. They wanted to, th- yeah, they wanted to throw him in the water on the last day of shooting. He didn't even, he was not present for the last shot of this movie. He set the shot up, made every, and I think it was, I think it was either the explosion or, or the, you know, shot of maybe the shark sinking to the bottom of the ocean or whatever after it's exploded. Mm-hmm. But he famously, you know, he tried wearing, I think, leather or, or a, a whole suede outfit. So he thought they wouldn't throw him in the water if he did that. And they're like, nope, that's still happening. So he set up the whole shot and then just got on a boat and left. Wow. He got on a boat, left and said, I shall not return. Or if he said, that's a wrap. I shall not return. And then got on. He drove down to Boston and stayed in a hotel room and had like a full blown panic attack, like couldn't move and had bad dreams for like weeks about filming the movie. That's really sad. I know. Wow. Poor Steven. People used to like the the people on the set, the people working on it would call the movie Flaws. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's not bad. Peter Benchley had to be thrown off the set. The author from the book, he has a part in the movie. He plays the reporter. Yeah. In the cloud yeah. of a great shark. <laughs> um so he and Spielberg were were arguing about the end of the book or rather the movie. Because it ends differently than the book. And and if you shoot an air tank, it wouldn't actually explode. And so Peter Benchley's trying to 
explain this to Steven Spielberg. And it's not believable. The audience will never believe it. And Sp- Steven Spielberg apparently said the audience will believe whatever I tell them to believe. <laughs> and of course, in the end, he was right. Yeah. He's fucking right. Yeah, I believed it. Wasn't even a second thought. I'm like, oh. no, yeah, let's do it. Well, let me ask you this. So, I mean, talk about I don't know. What are some of your favorite scenes? What do you? <clears throat> uh, one of my favorite scenes was the the last beach scene, the Fourth of Ju- big Fourth of July weekend. Everyone's yeah. out there, and the mayor. One moment where I got really nervous for this family. Was the mayor goes over, I'm assuming, to, uh, to whoever, I don't, I don't know who he was, and he's like, you need to get in the water. And he's like, well, I just I just put my sunscreen on, get in the, get in the fucking water. I'm trying to absorb. <laughs> yeah, didn't want to get in the water. They're clearly panicky. They, like, they do not want to be in the water, but it gets everybody in there. And that was, I felt really bad for that family because. Yeah, I have a note that says the line, please get in the water. And just next to it, I wrote, Biggest dick ever. He sucked. He sucked so <laughs> bad. Oh, God. But the it. actor Murray Hamilton is great. He did a great job. Oh, my God. I want a, if 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 you ever come across a jacket with fucking anchors on it, you get it. Buy it for my birthday. <laughs> okay. That's what I want. OK, that is what I fucking want. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, that whole beach scene, loved it. But I also, yeah, I have a, I have a note that says Jaws in the Pond is so great. And I can remember back when I, the first time I watched this movie and part of it has to do with the music when they get everybody out of the water and all of a sudden the music starts picking up. And when he's like, he's running over those cobblestone kind of, not cobblestone, but that, that, that rock wall. And it's and everything's starting to pick up. Like shit's happening. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that guy who gets killed in that scene, I I marvel at that scene every time I see it because that to me is the moment where the shark looks so real I can't even believe it. It that looked like a real shark. Yeah, when you see it coming underneath the water on the yeah, side. That was good. And then when it's biting him on top, the leg. Not so real. No, but but then it's fine. But but you got like kind of stringy pieces of flesh, yeah. you know. And I really liked that. It wasn't like as sharp as you might think uh, a shark's teeth are. It's not like a clean cut. Like those things are gonna tear some shit up. So I really appreciated like the messiness. Yeah. Of of the ripped. Oh lips. fuck, man! Oh, I love that scene so much. I just think yeah. it's amazing. What else? Um, well, let me ask you about this. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I really enjoyed when the three of them are on the boat towards the end and they're, the shark is, you know, he's got his one or two barrels hooked up, one barrel hooked up. They're waiting for him to like kind of come back cause they have the tracker on it. And, um, they're sharing like, uh, you know, they're doing like tit for tat with their injuries and stuff and they're drinking and it was such a good moment. And then he like, it gets real dark and he starts talking about, um, the Indianapolis, you know, and his ship. Yeah. The Indianapolis. And you literally get lost in that story. Like I forget that we're waiting for the shark to come back Yeah, because I'm so 
I'm so enthralled with the story he's talking about and how off, truly awful it is. And they're just stuck out there for a long, long time getting picked off by sharks, which I don't, I've never been in a shipwreck before. So I don't really know right. if that's a, if that's a real, a plausible thing, but it doesn't matter. And then the boat starts getting eaten up by that shark and you're brought back to the present. And you're like, oh shit. I loved it. I loved all of that. It's my, it's my, okay, so actually we probably have to take one more break, Chew, and then we're going to come back because I, I want to go in depth on that scene because yeah, I it's one of, it's a scene that there are very few scenes in movies where you think I'll remember that my whole life. There's not a lot of them. You know what I mean? And this is one of them. Yeah, that's up so, and I want to, I, you know, there's some interesting stuff that you, you having never seen this movie until this sure morning, don't, know. don't yeah. know about. So, so when we come back, I'll, we'll go a little more in depth and I want to talk about that scene some more. Hang on, everybody. We'll be right back. Okay, I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. So, Chew, when we left, we were talking about I'm so glad you brought up that scene because I was about to ask you what you thought about it. And I thought, I'm going to back off and see if she just <laughs> talks about it. Yeah. This is the moment in the movie that made me realize how great this movie could be. I, I think even as recently as 2012, if you had asked Steven Spielberg what movie he was making, he'll say he was making a movie about catching a shark. And that's it. But I think that this is the funny thing about even a popcorn summer movie that's supposed to be an adventure movie that turns into sort like a piece of art. And yeah. even if that's by accident, you know, a lot of people, we ourselves were talking about the nature of these three men, right? And sort of yeah. the toxic masculinity man, the family man, and the, for lack of a better word, the, the smart, too good for his own britches yeah. kind of rich silver, the nerd. The Silver Spoon in his, you know. Yeah, Silver Spoon, right. 
And there's a lot of that in this movie. But so, uh, you know, what's fascinating to me is that when you have a piece of art, it's always what you bring to it. So there's lots of debate about what this movie's about. Is it about the three class, the three classes of the men? Is it about the three generations? Yeah. Is it, is it just a movie about catching a shark? And again, the happiest accident the shark wasn't working. And that's how the USS Indianapolis speech came to fruition. They were just looking for something extra to do. And yeah. the writer, you know, Steven Spielberg was writing it part of this with Carl Gottlieb. I hope I'm saying that right, that name right. Somebody else had come in whose name I can't grab out of the top of my mind right now to help with the USS Indianapolis speech. And what ended up happening was Robert Shaw ended up writing most of the USS Indianapolis speech as it ended up being performed. On top of that, Robert Shaw was a, a pretty terrible drunk. He was extremely unkind and mean to Richard Dreyfus throughout the entire shoot. They were antagonistic towards one another. So all of that part of the movie I think is based on something that was actually happening between the two men. Yeah. I want to say maybe around the year 2015, Robert Shaw's granddaughter who lives in Ireland brought Richard Dreyfus over to talk about the movie or something like that. It meant quite a bit to him, you know, having been so far removed from what he considered to be yeah. a terrible experience, but is iconic. And part of that is this scene, this USS Indianapolis scene. Robert Shaw was a terrible drunk and decided that he should try to film it drunk one night. And apparently it was just awful. And the next morning he went to Steven Spielberg and said, how much of a fool did I make of myself? And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think he might use some of it, but I've heard conflicting reports. I heard that Steven Spielberg said, I, I'll use some of it, but we need to shoot it again. And I've heard that the yeah. the next night when they shot it, it was he did it in one take and they used that. So I, I've heard both stories, but he did it again. And this is what you get is this amazing speech that speaks to why Quint is who he is. And it's all preceded by the things we were talking about earlier. Right. So you have Hooper who's, you know, silver spoon in his mouth. And essentially, I think he's taking this moment to try and get on the good side of the of the asshole. You know, he's trying to find a moment where he's not going to get picked on. Yeah. And they're having this one upmanship, which has been parodied in other movies like Chasing Amy. And we're, if in that movie, they're having a, a sex talk. They're talking about their sex injuries. <laughs> And in this movie, it's I got scraped by a bull shark. I got the thresher's tail. I, you know, big guy arm wrestling. And then you have this fantastic human moment of Roy Scheider, who lifts up his shirt to look at his appendix scar because that's who he is. Right. And right. This. I just got that. Actually, I noticed that when it happened, I was like, is he not going to say anything? But. Yeah, it makes sense now that it was yeah, an appendix scar. Just, and he's like, well, that's all I got. Such a magical moment of I can't con I can't contribute to this 
conversation because <laughs> yeah. I'm just Chief Brody. <laughs> but that scene to me brings this movie to a whole other level and really kind of sets sets it apart from a very good movie to a great movie based solely on that scene. I yeah, I totally agree. You just see this whole another uh level of of characters and you really step away from whatever you think the movie is focused around the shark. Like I said, you like I completely forgot what we right. were there for. I was just so captivated by this story and then you're brought back just like that and you're like, oh shit, all right, let's go. Yeah, that was really great. Yeah. Well, how about... So So let me ask you this, Chu. I want to know your reaction to the line, you're going to need a bigger boat. Loved it. It was so good. I forgot <laughs> the... We were going to, like, that was an anticipating moment because everyone knows that line. I'd actually never seen that scene. I just knew the line, what it was in reference to. And then he sees the shark. So you knew the line, though? Yeah, you knew yeah. the line? Yeah. You knew, you knew of the line? Yeah. Okay. I, I've used it frequently in my life, which seems kind of <laughs> like I'm a fraud because I'd never seen the movie up until this moment. Um, but, yeah, he, like... And just the way he reacted to the shark for the first time, he didn't scream. He was just in this moment of shock, stumbles back into the boat and says, we're going to need a bigger boat. Like, so matter of fact, like, holy shit. With a cigarette shit. hanging yeah. out of his mouth. It, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, here's a little, not a little known fact. Here's a great big wide known fact that you might know. Did you know that that line was improvised? No. No. By Roy Scheider. Had no yes. idea. It was so well done. Well, and here's the other thing about that line was that's that's something that the crew kept saying over and over again because the shark kept breaking down and shit kept going wrong. So they kept saying that as a refrain of you're going to need a bigger boat, kind of like you're going to need a yeah. bigger boat to fix this fucking mess of a movie. <laughs> Yeah. And then <laughs> on top of that, what's funny is when they they built the orca, right? So they built mm -hmm. the orca and the orca itself was so top heavy that it essentially was not seaworthy. And then they built the boat that was made to sink. And that boat was actually more seaworthy than the orca they oh created to be on water. And at one point it started sinking. And Steven Spielberg started yelling, you know, save the actors, save the actors. And the sound department was said, fuck the actors, save the sound equipment, save the film. Oh and the God. film actually submerged in the water. <laughs> the film actually submerged in the water and they thought it was fucked. But then they realized that the, the solution to, to process the film is saline. So they thought, oh, we might be all right. Sent it to New York. And it was fine. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that great? What a mess. That's insane. Fucking amazing. Can you believe that this movie is as good as it is? Uh, no. Like, I'm just blown away. 
<laughs> You're also talking to somebody who just watched it for the first time. It's like I've literally been reborn into the world. I can't believe you saw this movie literally for the first time this morning. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely into my 30s <laughs> and have never watched Jaws. What the fuck? Well, Fucking great. Well, I'm an adult now, so I'm all grown up. Yeah, you are. Yep. <laughs> You're all grows up. <laughs> all right, moving on. Okay. What did you think? What do you think of the scene where the where Hooper comes over for dinner? Oh, um, I, I wasn't sure if it was like perfect or if it was a little awkward. Well, I think it's perfect because it's awkward. So, but it starts with the moment of of Chief Brody with Roy Scheider with his own kid. Okay. Yeah. And his wife played by Lorraine Gary, watching this, you know? And this comes into play in the later movies, especially number four, in just mm. the worst ways possible. But but it's a magical moment when this kid is mimicking his father. And, I mean, I you know, I used to say this to, to friends and even my, you know, my own family. I would say, give us a kiss. Yeah. I just... Because I need it. Why? Because I need it. And it's such a fantastic moment. I really thought it was a a sweet moment. Like his dad had had like the worst fucking day and he just needs, he just needs some love from his son, which also given the time, I mean, I, I'm assuming that in that time, it, maybe fathers weren't that affectionate toward their children. Maybe like, I don't think my, I don't think my dad my my dad's dad loved him like they had a good relationship as time went on but i he wasn't i can't imagine him ever being affectionate toward his kids like that yeah right it was different at that time you know even myself i was a free range kid i could go anywhere be anywhere you know yeah uh leave at nine o'clock at morning don't come back until the sun <laughs> sets kind of a thing and it was just different i mean my my father was affectionate you know he he was i th- you know i would consider him kind of a brody kind of dad you know what i mean mm-hmm. where you think of macho man but but would allow for clearly caring about his children right and i'm thankful for that yeah but after that you have Hooper show up, and I just love, you know, I, first of all, Roy Scheider is probably the best on-screen drunk it was ever in the so history. It was so good. Like, oh, he's fucking amazing. Yeah, it was really funny. I just love him so much. And so he comes over with the bottles of wine, and they sit down. I'd like to talk to your husband. Lorraine Gary says, yeah, me too, which is just a great, you know, <laughs> fucking great moment. <laughs> And we talked about it earlier when she's talking about how he's afraid of water and he says drowning. And I don't know. Did you pick up on when he's pouring the wine yeah, he for was everybody? Like, yeah. He's like, oh, you, you want to make that? You want to let that breathe? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it just, just yeah. keeps going. <laughs> it's like, no, no. But did you catch that when he, Shiner is pouring his own wine, he's pouring it into the into the remnants of the brown liquor that he was... <laughs> Just yeah. drinking, he just pours it right in. He did not give a shit. Oh, it's fucking amazing. 
I can do anything. I'm the chief of police. That was a great line. Fuck it. All time. Yeah. All time. That was a really great line. And, oh, it's so amazing. And him rambling drunk on the on the boat. It was like <laughs> it was like listening to a like a woman just just ramble on about their life yeah. and their woes and her it was it was a uh, I don't know, it was humbling. It's so magical yeah. is what it is. I mean, you know, in Amity, one man can make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's so great. And of course, you have all of that that you know lends itself to what we were talking about just before with the end of the movie, where when they're on the boat, when they first see the shark, that's a twenty footer, twenty five, all three tons of them, and when Hooper's trying to get Brody to the end of the boat just to take pictures, yeah. I need something in the foreground. <laughs> foreground, my ass. <laughs> It was such like he thought he had time to take a picture. Like this isn't the time. This isn't a good time. That's not what we're doing here. But he just Well, I don't know. He's he's a scientist. He, like for him it is the it is the best time, yeah. you know? Yeah, that was a good moment. So uh, what were your thoughts about what about your thoughts about the second act? These these three men on the boat. How does that play out for you? I thought it was, I thought it was perfect. They hit all these, uh, these possible scenarios, and most of them fall flat. You know, like I in in my head, I would say, oh, it's not even a grievance, but something I was like, ah, eh, that probably wouldn't happen. That the shark is large enough and strong enough to pull that boat and try to sink it into the water. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the great, maybe it is strong enough to do that. I don't know. Probably not though. Actually, quite famously, Chu, famously, they did that on Mythbusters and it can't, it, a shark could not do that. A shark could not no. be strong enough to pull the boat with that much force, forcing that much water on it, blah, 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 blah. I think they tested the, the tank. It wouldn't do that. It might, I mean, if you just took the top off of it, it would launch like a missile. But it wouldn't make the shark explode. Might right. fuck up its face or something like that, fine. I think that's they like, said. Um... But but Mythbusters did a lot of stuff from Jaws. But, you know, speaking to my point earlier about him convincing Peter Benchley that the audience will believe whatever I tell them to believe, he does that magically. It works. Completely and totally. And the barrels were like the saving grace for the whole thing because the barrels going underneath. And there's so many great shots. The three barrels going underneath, the wide shot of the three barrels going underneath the boat is fucking amazing. Yeah, that was good. There's a shot. When you first see it and it's going underneath the boat, it seems more kind of just steady, kind of going along. But there's a shot after that when it's going the other way and the shark actually seems to be oscillating, its fins going back and forth, and really looks amazing. I mean, it's... They really... It's funny that it's 1975 and you have sequels that came after this, and this movie still is the bar for a shark that looks the most realistic on screen. Yeah, it was... It was perfectly done. There were plenty of plenty of times where I was like, "Fuck! Did, did they use a real shark? Like that looks damn good." 
Actually, that's a fun fact that Steven Spielberg thought that they were going to be able to train a shark to Mm. do this movie. I would have liked to hear that. Him be like, well, we can just get a real shark, right? And then somebody being like, fuck no. What are you, an idiot? It's like the the director asking Arnold to hold the guy over the cliff. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not going to be doing that. Thank you very much. It reminds me of a Simpsons episode when NASA is trying to decide how they could get more viewers or get people to care about NASA again. And one guy says, well, we could just tell them that all the chimps we send into space came back super smart. (laughs) And all of a sudden it pans over to a chimp in a suit with roller skates. The chimp says, no, we won't be doing that. And then skates off. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. That's awesome, right? um, uh, Thing to add on to my list of grievances I've never, wa- I've never watched The Simpsons. Oh, how dare you! Oh my gosh! I've watched Chew. plenty of South Park and plenty of Family Guy, uh, and never The Simpsons. Well, just speaks to my recurring fact that I you're know, a I'm terrible a big piece person. Of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, I don't know. What what is there anything else for this movie that you feel we must I thought something you got to squeeze in or questions you have or anything like so, that? I was so into the movie like moment moment to moment that I wasn't really thinking so far ahead of like who was going to survive. I thought Richard Dreyfus was going to die. Oh, okay. Um in the cage. He but dies he, in the well, book. Well, that's fine because he was having sex with. Kurt I think so. Yeah. So that's totally fine. Right. Um. Uh. And I didn't really see, um, Quint dying, and then I was like, oh no, maybe he'll just take a leg and he'll be like a pirate with like a peg leg. And I was like, nope, shit, <laughs> nope. He's gonna, nope. He's spitting up blood. That's that's the end of that. And I couldn't figure out. Yeah. Do I feel sad for that character because it's kind of poetic? Like he dies in the only way he could yeah. die in this movie. He a I would say he has to die. Yeah. I mean, once you have the USS Indianapolis speech, it's like, oh, you have to die. Yeah. And then you have that great moment too after the shark drags the boat, and mm-hmm. you could see water everywhere. You could see, you know, that it's sinking. And he walks up and he looks over at the life vests. And when he comes out, he gives one to each of the other men, but isn't wearing one himself. He knew what was going to happen. That his ending was made all the better because they did the Indianapolis speech. If that story wasn't in there, it just wouldn't have, I don't think it would have meant as much his death. So I think it was, that was all perfect. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I mean, it just everything wraps up in just the perfect way to me. This movie is. There's a reason it's my favorite movie of all time. God damn it. Literally every. Every little thing was almost perfect. It was basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have no words. It was great. Well, and I it was formative for me because, like I said, you have two men from different walks of life, but they become friends. Yeah. And you have a third man 
kind of the toxic masculinity man and that man has to die. And so for me, this movie was informative about what it says about friendship and about vulnerability and how those things are okay and why it's okay to love and why it's okay to care and not just be the guy who wants to get revenge on a thousand sharks because his boat went down. I liked, um, I liked Hooper and Quint's relationship that he, you know, Quint was constantly yelling at him and berating him and nothing was right. And I felt like that was a, Oh yeah. Um, that kind of gave some more light of what may be happening behind the scenes in Hooper's life. Like he has a lot of money. He might not be close with his family. Like he's, he doesn't talk about his family. And there might be a real, yeah. And there might be an actual, grievance there for the character of Quint that you're not hard working that you don't do you don't put in the kind of hours you know when he grabs his hands yeah. he's, you got city hands you know that kind of thing because when you work as hard as Quint does it hardens your hands right and that's what it meant at that time to be a man at that time yeah ostensibly you know that's that that's that's how masculinity was looked at and so Again, I think because this movie, I consider it a piece of art, but but like art, all art, you bring to it what you bring to it, and you see in it what you see in it. What an awesome fucking movie. <laughs> because in my mind, I was literally just thinking, yeah, it's a shark movie. But, you know, we've talked about all these other things and character development and what's going on, why this person is is the way he is and it's no longer just right. a shark movie like you said like this is great fucking a i'm so I'm happy gonna, right I'm now watch it again. <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen that's it for the movie jaws we did it yeah we taught you about a great fucking movie teachable moment are you happy chew oh yeah this was a success fucking a right it was I'm so happy right now. So glad. Yeah, you've set the bar kind of high for these teachable moments. So I'm going to expect every teachable moment from here on out to be just as great as Oh, those. that seems unfair. <laughs> 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 I mean, there are movies I'm probably at some point going to want you to see that others, meh, that I just love. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But I'll give you a fair warning. How about that? Okay, yeah, that's good. All right. Well, for my friend Lady Chu, having seen Jaws the first time, my name is Michael Schantz from the How Dare You Awards. We are so excited to bring you the first How Dare You Teachable moment. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a great day. Thanks for listening.